Hi, this is Mike from the Old Ways Podcast, and I'm here with Matthew Dawkins of Onyx Path Publishing for the first of the Old Ways Podcast interview series of 2023. We are talking to creators this year who we find compelling. And so throughout the year, you're going to hear several interviews from creators in the tabletop role-playing game industry, and hopefully... You will enjoy it. Unbeknownst to Mr. Dawkins, he gets to lead the charge. He is the first one out of the gate. And so I I think that's terribly fun for him. So what I would like is to have the guest introduce themselves. Well, I agree. It's terrible. It's fun. It's terribly fun that I am the first gladiator in the arena. Uh, yeah, so my name's Matthew Dawkins. I am the creative strategist and in-house developer, one of them, at Onyx Path Publishing, as well as a freelance writer and developer of role-playing games for many, many companies. I am probably best known these days for being the, I guess, mind and primary developer behind the They Came From series of RPGs, uh, Beneath the Sea, Beyond the Grave, etc., uh, as well as a frequent contributor to the world of darkness in various forms, uh, including being its lead developer uh, at Onyx Path and over a about seven, I think, V5 books, as well as the writer of all of the clan material up until the V5 companion. So, yeah, I've got quite a lot of vampire under my belt uh, on top of that i've worked on games like call of cthulhu modern age uh, and cult divinity lost among many many others yeah the uh, the list as it were just looking at the brief list i scanned the other day i think my scroll wheel got a little workout from all the things <laughs> that you've put out yeah i love talking to other creators who people might consider prolific or maybe they consider themselves prolific I think there's a real Robert E. Howard mentality and quality to that. Jobbing writer, I think, is what that we're sometimes called. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I I don't think it's a arrogant boast to call myself prolific. I, I've been working in writing on RPGs part time since 2013 or thereabouts, and I turned it full time from around 2017, and work on enough to make it a i guess lucrative enough career uh, i mean it's by no means you know, television writing money or anything like that or video game writing money but i do enough of this work that i can sustain myself pay the mortgage keep my family that kind of thing sometimes i think this is a dream job sometimes of course i think god i hate this job but i think everyone does that if they work in the creative in a creative field but yes, I am rarely without work. I'm always looking for another assignment to pick up. I think it's interesting, just some, some of the notes I pulled from the material you've worked on that I was not aware, uh, right? So uh, Cold War Cthulhu through Cubicle 7, which some of our listeners are very much Call of Cthulhu fans, uh, but also Flotsam and Jetsam. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that that people might not think, oh, did he, he work on that? Like much of the Vampire the Masquerade line as well. Uh, you've had your fingers in a lot of pies, as we would say. And I like that. I'm a huge fan of just going anywhere with your personal talents and just using them uh, to the best of your ability. 
trying to see what work you can get done in a specific space. Well, I don't think it's possible, and I don't know, this could be some measure of hubris, but it feels accurate to me to say, I don't think you can turn this into a full-time gig unless you are prepared to learn a lot of different games, work outside your most comfortable genres, and, and network, essentially, with lots of different companies. It means you're constantly hustling for work, just like most self-employed people do. Whether you're a plumber, an electrician, or a writer, you have to develop a decent reputation for turning work in on time, an adaptability, a flexibility to be able to work on lots of different games. You know, it's, it's all, I guess, it, it's stuff that should be, from one aspect, taken as read. But on the other hand, there's an awful lot of people that that seems to surprise. I think a lot of people get into the RPG industry. I, I, in fact, I would say everyone gets into the RPG industry if they are, well, because they were a fan of RPGs. This isn't an industry you get into by accident. No, no, definitely not. And with that often comes a certain degree of fandom from the creators. I mean, my my wheelhouse was always World of Darkness. That was my mainstay as a role player. That and Call of Cthulhu. And so getting to work on the World of Darkness and Call of Cthulhu was very much a dream come true for me. But I think there's an awful lot of people who get into the industry. They want to work on their game. You know, they want to work on the game that they love. And they very much shut themselves off to the possibility of working on other properties. And in turn, that limits your opportunities. That's fine. That's absolutely fine for people who do just want to work on uh, a specific game. But yeah, if you want to do it full time, and get enough work constantly coming in. You need to, I guess, diversify is the is the word. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. From a ton of different levels too. I think for those people who listen to this show who might be a little surprised we're doing an interview, it's true in our space too, where it, it doesn't really matter. You're out to use your talent and your ability. Uh, and as far as what brand you could, uh, you could take the biggest uh, elephant in the room, right? So to speak, you could look at D&D. There are probably very few creators that just do D&D, right? Because there's only so much of that to go around. Yeah, yeah. Or if it is, they work on a lot of DM skills material, which is often as good, if not better, than the official stuff. Uh, I sort of say that in quotation marks because the 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 uh, work ethic you have to have to be able to prolifically create community content is probably far above what I have. You know, that the uh, I work often to assignments given to me by other people if I'm a writer, and if I'm a developer, I am managing other writers. But that's very different than coming up with a game, writing it yourself uh, exclusively, and releasing it, you know, sort of, uh, I guess, paying for your own art, paying for your own layout, doing all of this outside of a company. Obviously, some people set up companies to handle this sort of thing but there's quite a lot who do it purely independently and do it very well out of it too i've got a lot of admiration for people like that because i don't think i could manage that it's a lot to manage just all the logistics uh, and uh, all of the different streams of releases and writing and a lot of important time management skills that come with that uh and you're you're betting on releases right you're betting on 
whether or not something will will bring in what you need it to bring in to get on to the next thing. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it is very much a gamble when you invest money into the development of a product, and the only person who can profit or suffer as a result is yourself. Uh, I know our mutual friend Travis Leg is one of these prolific creators, and I've got a again a hell of a lot of respect for him and his work ethic and ability to keep creating and invest his own money into the creation of various games. It's, it is quite something. So, so when it comes down to Xpath, the old ways is going to get an opportunity to sort of crack that egg, right? Uh, and, and check out some of the product line that, that, you've, that you offer. And, and it's already been announced. Uh, we're going to be stepping into the Trinity continuum. Yeah. And so I guess if, if we just look broad brushstrokes to a listener of the podcast that's maybe never experienced the Trinity Continuum, what are they getting? Well, the wonderful thing about Trinity is there's a hell of a lot of universes within that continuum, or a hell of a lot of continuums within Trinity. Uh, so that if you just buy the core book, you effectively have a sort of near future 21st century uh, pulp action game that could be anything from. I guess, mild superheroes, sort of uh, mystery-solving, Warehouse 13-ish, all the way through to video games like Hitman and Uncharted and Tomb Raider. You know, there's a certain, uh, I guess, pulp, two-fisted quality to it. The Adventure, one of the Trinity Continuum segments, a, a separate game that you can buy, is it, it possesses in spades. You also have aberrant which is the superheroes or again that may be too broad a term but it is uh, you're playing characters with super powered abilities who much as in the way of x-men uh, can either embrace that uh, that power and lord it over others or and of course take to lives of crime or you can try defending the meek and the powerless and trying to use your powers responsibly. Uh, that's a sort of very central theme of Aberrant. And then you have Aeon, which is pretty distant into the future. There's space travel, there's wormholes, there's psychic powers, there's aliens. And then you can jump all the way back to Aether in the late 19th century, where you have your characters like Tesla, Jekyll Hyde, Mina Harker, the sort of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen cast, manipulating this uh, aether substance that gives them the ability to morph their bodies, uh, change the fabric of space and time around them, basically play with all of that sort of public domain, gothic fantasy and horror that was very popular in the early to late 19th century. So everything from Frankenstein to Sherlock Holmes, a lot of that actually appears in the game because in Aether, you are playing in a world where these characters exist all the way through to, as the game starts, the Martian invasion from War of the Worlds is commencing. And so our Aethernauts, our characters who can use Aether, are given the responsibility or take the responsibility of fighting off the Martians, even though it may be them who lured the Martians here. So, yeah, there's the Trinity Continuum is pretty broad. It has the central theme of... Uh, the central theme, which is nice and simple, which is power corrupts. And, of course, 
if you can use it responsibly, then you are a rarity in this world. Uh, but it plays so well with the different eras in which it is set and really unfolds a setting for each each stage that I can see why it's so popular. Uh, I've, I've never got into Trinity until the last few years, and it then, after playing a lot of Aberrant, it came to me to develop Trinity Continuum Aether, which was one of my concepts I pitched for the Trinity Continuum. And thankfully, it got picked up. I, I got to develop that book. It's, it funded on Kickstarter, did pretty well, and has funded a bunch of stretch goals too. So it has been a joy to sort of play in that pool uh, and also interact with the fans of Trinity because it was a fan base that until recently I had no contact with. Yeah, I, I'm happy to say that I was one of the people who backed it. Good for you. I knew we'd get a lot. Uh, it looked really good. Very eager to get a hold of it when it <laughs> arrives. Yeah, just uh, really exciting for a lot of different reasons. I liked a lot of the core concepts of it, and I also really enjoy the way that so many different stories could be told through the same continuum, not to you know play on words there, uh, but also very different choices for characters within the setting and then what they can do and what they can be depending upon the the scope of the setting or story yeah so i i think it would be good for listeners maybe who who again who are not familiar with story path um basic ideas of how story path works i i will preface this by something that i read recently which is and i think robin laws said it he once remarked that every role-playing game has a characteristic venue and a characteristic scope of activity within which characters express their identity, right? In classic yeah. vampire, that's the social competition between uh, different clans and different uh, beasts and that sort of draw mm -hmm. in or feign. In D&D, it's dungeon crawling and fighting and moving around traps and high magic uh, and, and all the, the different fighting scenes. It, it seems to me that StoryPath makes a, every action and expression of character by the flow of decision from skill to attribute. Do you feel like that's pretty close? Very much so. Uh, it's unusual in that it's a game where, yeah, you pair the number of dots you have in a skill with the attribute as opposed to the other way around. I mean, fundamentally, it shares that commonality with World of Darkness, Chronicles of Darkness. It's a D10 dice pool system. Even Shadowrun has that kind of system. But because when you create your characters in story path, you get to choose whether they prefer doing things via things like finesse or resilience, the way they conduct themselves is kind of channeled through the dice you choose to roll or the points you choose to roll. And it is a simple system. D10 dice pools, eights and above are successes, which may sound punishing, except tens count as two successes, so they are covered. And you add things like complications. I always use the example of you have a character running down an alleyway, they're trying to scale a chain-link fence to get away from the werewolf behind them. There's barbed wire along the top. Well, you roll an athletics plus might, let's say, to climb up the fence successfully and drop down the other side. Well, you only need to get one success to manage it, but there are two complications attached to the roll. Maybe one is because of the barbed wire, another one is because it's raining and therefore it's slippery. 
So you can always succeed with one success, but you need additional successes to buy off those complications, which won't make you fail, but they will add complications, as the name implies. This might be something like if you don't buy it off, you slip down the other side and hurt yourself. Or it might be your pocket gets caught on the barbed wire and your wallet falls out, allowing the werewolf to grab it and identify who you are. That sort of thing. And uh, the flip side of that is you have enhancements. I know this gun better than I know my wife. So it has an enhancement. You are familiar. It's very comfortable in your grip. I may, I built this car from scratch, that sort of thing. So enhancements mean that if you succeed on a dice roll, you add what are effectively successes, uh, or in the case of damage, you add damage, along with being able to purchase various things like stunts that allow you to do super-duper things. That's the core of the system. So D10 dice pools, eights and above are successes, complications and enhancements. That's pretty much it. Now, there are various bits and pieces you can add on here and there in story path this is especially the case in the they came from games because that also uses the story path system but it's as simple or as complex as your group wants to make it at its core it's a fully functional system based around that dice pool mechanic yeah absolutely it's funny you would uh, you'd lead us into our next topic which is the they came from series as the calendar winds throughout 2023 Listeners here are going to get a chance to hear our spin on several of the They Came From series. And in sense, mm. we'll say you have a uh, an intimate knowledge of the They Came <laughs> From setting. I'd love to hear your take on it. Well, They Came From started out as a game that it very much isn't today. At first, it was just going to be a very dry military sort of PMC operations tackling aliens at the bottom of the ocean kind of a thing. Like XCOM Terror from the Deep. But as the game's development went on, and when I say went on, I mean went from an idea in my head and one playtest at the UK Games Expo to a functioning game, it became more of a parody of 1950s sci-fi or B-movies. So They Came From Beneath the Sea was The Inception, a game where you played characters in a really crappy movie who would be able to spout one-liners called quips, that would give you various bonuses to your actions, the way you could use cinematics to do things like run through a cheap set wall because the were-lobster's chasing you, or where you could cut to a missing reel because Centipus was about to devour you and the entire party, and you would then just appear elsewhere with no rhyme or reason for why. So it's a game that embraces the idea of metagaming. It doesn't hold its nose when doing so. It's, it is a cinematic game in that you are creating a feature for the genre that that game is attempting to emulate. Now, despite Beneath the Sea's name, because we get asked this a lot, it caters just as well to invasions from outer space. Uh, and uh, in fact, there is a They Came From Outer Space on Drive Through RPG 2, which is a very short supplement to Beneath the Sea. Now, Beyond the Grave, which often occupies, occupies the top place, it's very close to it at least, of my favorite They Came From is the They Came From that handles hammer horror, gothic horror, Everything for there's a bit of a time travel element to it because it handles movies set in the 19th century and the 1960s and 70s to the point that you can play characters who are descendants of 
that your Victorian age characters all the way into the 1970s, played by the same actors, essentially, just with uh, nicer sideburns and flares, perhaps. And while Beneath the Sea has a very farcical... Uh, red scare tone to it, white picket fences, 1950s, almost American, exceptional, uh, this is our nuclear family attitude. The 1970s of Beyond the Grave is a little more grungy, cigarette stained, uh, the blood is technicolor, there's a little bit of uh, lewdness about what's going on as well, because there's no longer... Uh, Karlov, Lugosi, this is Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, Britt Eklund, that kind of cast. And yeah, it allows you to play around with that same kind of thing of creating a horror movie, uh, which can be good, it can be bad, you still have cinematics, you still have quips, you still have all the other bits of they came from that make the game tick. And once again, they are based around that central story path system of D10s and 8 being the target number. Now, I should say that there's some people who look at the idea of games, comedy games, essentially, a bit sniffily. They never got on with Paranoia. They never got on with the idea of playing where they came from, as an example. But they came from, while written to a degree tongue-in-cheek, never prescribes humour to the reader or the role-player or the, the GM, the director in this case. It is a game that can be played as seriously as dryly, or as ridiculously as possible. So if you want your game to be Dracula starring Christopher Lee, go for it. If you want it to be Dracula dead and loving it, starring Leslie Nielsen, you can do that too. The game basically supports any tone you really like. The point is to make the game feel cinematic. So yeah, we've had other They Came From since. We are currently... buying our art for they came from classified which is our espionage movies and media we have cyclops's cave which is fantasy features and tv series ranging all the way from the 1930s or even 20s i guess with sinbad and odysseus through to hercules and xena and embracing sword and sorcery of the 80s with kroll hawk the slayer conan in the middle uh so yeah uh, and beyond that i mean they came from as a pretty prolific series we've got they came from camp murder lake which expands beyond the grave that's our 1980s slasher one uh probably my favorite that's the one i tend to run at conventions uh and we've got they came from the danger zone coming up which is our 1980s action movies so yeah there's a lot of they came from out there and the best thing about it is every single game is crossover compatible. The rules are largely the same. You don't need to make much, if any, adjustments. The archetypes you can play in one can be played in another. The antagonists in one can be ported into another. The cinematic powers, the quips, and all that can be played. So in other words, I was running a game of They Came From Classified not long ago, and I was doing it live and let die style. There was sort of there was some kind of drug dealer based out of New Orleans, and with it, we had our agents. But someone wanted to play the mystic archetype from Beyond the Grave, and there was no reason why not. We, so we put the mystic in there. 
and someone wanted to play one of the uh, character types of survivor archetype from beneath the sea. So they could be a grizzled survivalist that was living out in a shack in the bio or something like that. And, and again, that character fit in perfectly. And with that, we found, uh, we were already aware, but it was nice to put it into practice. The fact that they came from is one big game and you can chop and change the bits you like as much as you want. Each game is self-contained, but as you, it is as expandable as you want it to be. Yeah, I, I know that one of our own storytellers, uh, storyteller Miranda, is very much a fan of it, and she's just been grabbing people and running from tables uh, for people who are interested in the They Came From series. And she's saying, <laughs> oh, yeah, let's play this. Uh, and just so everybody knows, we're, we're going to be at Origins 2023 in, in Columbus, Ohio, June 21st to 25th. We're going to be playing some They Came From games. We're going to be having a live Q&A event and a live recording. And we're hoping fans will come out and enjoy the convention with us and get to meet a ton of the cast, including uh, cast members who will play in the They Came From series. You know, probably, we'll probably play some... They came from beyond the grave, but who knows? We might just spin out uh, any setting. Yep. There's an awful lot of they came from titles, which I think is great. Me too. You know, I, I'm not here to pitch your stuff per se. You're a complete master of that, <laughs> uh, as we've seen over the years. Just seeing all of the titles that are out there. So f- for our listeners who have not been to Indie Press Revolution or Drive Through RPG and checked out all the titles, all the Onyx Path products, a lot of the PDFs are just a couple of dollars. They're easy enough to pick up, read through, and uh, get the handle on, and then go play or run a game yourself. So let me change topics just slightly, and a lot of our listeners are also listening to our Vampire the Masquerade game, which uh, is going from, very recently, Season 1 to Season 2. So we started with Blood Moon Rising in Season 1, and now it's Shards of San Francisco. Uh, And there's been just a huge response from our listeners who are really enjoying our VTM show. They like our take on San Francisco and the chaotic politically bloody mess uh, it was in season one i can all i can tell you is that season two is going to be inexorably worse i wonder if you would touch on some of the stuff you've worked on from uh, the vampire the masquerade sort of world of darkness position uh, likely stuff that our players might even be using right now oh well good lord i mean i worked on the v5 core camarilla anarch i developed Chicago by Night, Chicago Folios, Let the Streets Run Red, Cults of the Blood Gods, Trails of Ash and Bone, co-developed Children of the Blood, and Forbidden Religions. So I've been about a little with V5. Uh, my, I've not worked on it, you know, hands up here. I've not worked on it much in the last year, I suppose, which has been honestly something of a relief. I've been on World of Darkness consistently since I got into this industry. So it's nice, although I've been working on things like the video game Swan Song, and I've been working on the board games, pretty much all of the board games that have come out so far or are coming out. It's a very different kind of creativity. For instance, at the time of recording, Werewolf the Apocalypse Retaliation is on Kickstarter from Flyos Games. And that's a game I have co-written, and it was a great deal of fun to work on. But I also worked on Chapters and Heritage and, yeah, a lot, lots, of, lots of them, basically. Um, my, I guess, core contribution to V5 was probably the clans. 
I mean, because everyone has to play a member of a clan. Because up to the V5 Companion, as I mentioned, I wrote all of the clans. And I wrote them with the intention of making them appealing and accessible, which may sound obvious. But some clans have often proven unappealing and inaccessible. And I was talking to you before we started recording, but it's worth repeating that when I hear people playing the La Sombra now in an Anarch or Camarilla game, or a member of the Ministry, or a member of the Hecata, it it makes me feel like my work was very much worth it. Because back when I first got into Vampire, what I would often hear is, I really like the La Sombra, but I can't play in a game. Or with with one of these vampires, or I would love to play a Giovanni, but you can only play a Giovanni if it's in an all Giovanni game. And now we have these clans that are more interesting. I would say uh, they are more, as I say, accessible and appealing. And yeah, obviously, there's going to be some people that don't like it because there's plenty of people that are fans of previous editions. That's absolutely fine too. But it's always gratifying to know that people are using material you have written. And I see that more with Vampire, I suppose, than probably any other game. So, you know, it means I I did good work. And even if I don't get to work on Vampire again in in the TTRPG side, uh, because I don't think I am, I will be uh, for the foreseeable future, it's, it's wonderful to have left a mark before moving on to other things. Oh, and, and undoubtedly, I think that you have a lot of pain on that canvas. Well, as a World of Darkness player myself from the, the early to mid-90s, I've read a lot of material and I've seen the game change. Obviously, the publishing, the, the, the business side of things has changed for them too, going through different iterations and different companies. But the, the game continues to evolve over time. And I think that the nice part about that is, is that it doesn't seem to be so guardrailed anymore. I think a lot of different creators are taking the world of darkness in different, well, down different alleys, down different paths. And I think there's true value in that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, some people really object to how how cross-pollinated a lot of the material is now, I guess, within Vampire the Masquerade. Others embrace it, to, to use the correct term, I guess, of vampire. Because, yeah, you are right. There was a phase, especially in revised edition, so third edition of Vampire, where there were lots of sidebars in books that would tell you this bloodline isn't meant to be played. If you're playing it, you're going to ruin the game. Or these clans would never work together. And I understand the creative direction behind that. It's very easy to create an inbuilt antagonism, drama, intrigue in a game if you know a Tremere is never going to buddy up to a Zimishi. But at the same time, Players like to play things that have been presented as playable, and often, even if they've been presented as unplayable. And so, yeah, my objective with pretty much all the games I work on, and I know I harp on about it, is utility. If a game is only made for storytellers, GMs, directors, whatever, then, well, pragmatically speaking, it's probably going to sell... To one in six, let's say the average role-playing group size is approximately six people, often smaller, well, most of the players aren't going to buy a storyteller-focused book. 
So that means that book needs something that has uh, that's accessible to players, usable by players. And so I want to present clans and bloodlines, merits, law sheets, things like that, disciplines that players want to grab hold of and start using. Otherwise, the books won't sell. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that ultimately needs to be kept in mind. We, we create a lot of things for art's sake, I guess, but not as much as we create books because we want them to sell well, we want to make a bit of money to fund our next projects and keep us in clothes and fed. And I feel like I, I can't speak for Vampire after Onyx Path stop, stopped working on it. Uh, and I don't know whether we will be starting on it again. That's not in my hands to say. But I know that up until the point we stopped, that's something I was ensuring went into every single book, that everything presentable could be used in someone's game. And yeah, I, I personally stick by that sort of mantra. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, uh, your commentary about games made for game masters, storytellers, etc. The, you know, I, I think those are, are aimed at. This might be a little bit flippant, but uh, you know, people that would maybe prefer to write a novel. You know, if if no one gets to engage with the narrative, with the story, the pacing, you might as well be reading somebody a bedtime story. You know, it's just my opinion, but. Well, yeah, I kind of agree. Uh, I the thing is, I, I'm a obviously massive reader, prolific reader. I buy an awful lot of RPGs just to read them, but also as a perpetual GM to run things. So I can see the benefit of a long form chronicle, like to go Call of Cthulhu for a second, Horror on the Orient Express, or Yap Shadows of Yog Sothoth, or whatever. I own those things. I've ran them. I enjoy them. But as a game designer. I always look to find material that players can use as well. Even if it's just at the beginning of the book, even if it's just a slim chapter of this is the kind of character that could be used in this game to have a new class or have some new feats or some new spells or some new magical items. Uh, again, we mentioned Travis Legg earlier. So he's an excellent developer for this because to use Dead Man's Rust as an example, the mega D&D campaign for Scarred Lands that he developed that's not only a mega campaign, I think, larger than Curse of Strahd, it is also an excellent player utility because you have new playable options. That is exactly the kind of thing I like to do with games. So one last setting question, and it's probably out of left field for what our uh, listeners might be used to, but I need to ask you about the world below. Oh, okay, yes. Because I've been keeping up on <laughs> Onyx Path Notes and seeing some videos and hearing some chatter about the world below. Uh, and I, I must say, I'm intrigued from a setting aspect. Uh, I, I like the idea that you're below ground and something has happened potentially apocalyptic on the world above, and maybe nobody's really sure about what's actually gone on. There's a bit of mystery there, so I think that's different. Mm. Uh, but I like the idea that there are, there are things under Earth which we do not know of until we seek them out. And then what? Then what do we do with them? What does what does any of that mean? Is there something going on above? You know, is uh, is this something we get to explore at some point? So, uh, I'd love to hear just maybe a few minutes of commentary, if you would, uh, about the the world below. 
Well, the world below definitely has a grim apocalyptic element in the sense that generations ago, but not that long ago, people were forced to exodus beneath the surface, displace the peoples that were already there, along with bugs and other creatures, uh, or sometimes of gargantuan size, and adapt to subterranean living. I mean, it's the sort of the story of the drow writ large, except the further down you go, the more mystical and weird and chaotic things become, to the point that there's a fabled well of chaotic power at the at the heart, I guess, or the base of the world below. And from that, all power flows. So if you're closer to the well, you can be immortal, you can live forever, and, and wield all the powers of the world below. The closer you are to the surface, the more toxic and rancid and uh, maddening the world in which you live. Uh, but it isn't quite as simple as just up is bad and down is good. Uh, far from it. The, it is also an expansive, sprawling world with a certain planar aspect to it. There's a there's a environments called the Fade, which is very dreamlike. There's the dark, the abyss, uh, and and so forth. But in terms of going, what's called skyward in the world below, if you want to reach up to the surface and and I guess uh, see what's going on up there. I would say it's a possibility, but the other people in the world below are probably superstitious enough that they're not going to treat you very well upon your return. Uh, is it an apocalyptic wasteland up there? Is it all a big myth? Is it a battlefield of the gods? Has there been, yeah, was there a nuke dropped? Uh, is it something even more esoteric than that? Well, that's for readers of the world below to find out. But one of those things that is best for the, the story guide, the GM in this case, to, I guess, have as a revelation in game, should players wish to tackle the surface. Um, the world below has been a lot of fun to work on, actually, because I don't tend to dip into fantasy. It's one of the genres I've tackled the least, which is strange, given that it's probably the dominant genre in role-playing. And yeah, it has elements of apocalyptia, as mentioned, but it's primarily a game of exploration. It's a game of making your settlement stronger, creating a lineage. Uh, it's a game of finding new wealth, new resources, the ability to flourish and prosper in this new world of yours. Uh, but along with some of the moral risks of, well, what's, whose expense are you expanding? I guess, uh, against, uh, were there people here before you? How do they feel about the fact that you are moving into their territory? You are refugees, or at least the descendants of refugees. So, you know, it's, it's difficult to say that it's all right, I'll go back up, uh, because that could be a death sentence. But on the other hand, is it possible to coexist with people who frankly don't want you there? So there's definitely a political element to it. Uh, both from the class aspect of there are riches at the bottom and poverty at the top, but there is also that, well, and it wasn't intended at all when we started developing it, but it certainly comes to the fore a great deal with uh, the war in Ukraine right now, that idea of what happens when millions of people get displaced and what happens to the people who now house them. For the most part, the vast majority of people are happy to do it. 
They are happy to extend charity. They're happy to you know, reach out with friendship and say, we, we will take care of you. But there are other people who naturally get their backs up and they start thinking, well, they're going to take what is mine. And when are they going to get moving back, back to where they came from? And it's, it's an interesting quandary to a sort of uh, needle to thread in, in a fantasy setting. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to work on. Yeah, sounds great. We don't offer a lot of fantasy role-playing on the podcast. It's really one group we, we sort of have not touched on yet. And I think that's maybe because we're looking for the right setting, the right type of fantasy mm. to eventually dip our toe in. Uh, I think there's a lot of fantasy actual play going on right now. And uh, I think as the situation with the OGL licensing and the situation with D&D at large continues to evolve, it's going to be very interesting to see where creators go. And it doesn't mean we might not investigate it in our own time. It'll certainly give us more time to play more Onyx Path products as we, uh, as we roll along in 2023. We, uh, we have an awful lot to get to. Oh, well, I, I hope you do investigate the world below. I mean, we're still, I'm, I'm doing a lot of the filling in the gaps writing now because it's in development at this stage. We've written the core of the material, but we're, we're reasonably far off it being released. It's one of those things where if you're interested in it, check out the Onyx Path Discord and the World Below channel. We will drop teasers there as and when we can, but right now it's still in development. No, it's, it's true. You potentially keep gamers uh, at large busy for some time, which is sort of, I think, I guess, let me just make this one last comment if you, if you would uh, indulge me. I think the every Wednesday release thing that Onyx Path does, just more than a little amazing, right? <laughs> My, given that we release three to four episodes of the podcast a week from different uh, you know, settings and stories, the idea that you release a PDF of something for someone to be able to open up and investigate and experience something new is, is more than maybe just a little amazing. Uh, it's just pretty wild. I take pride in it, knowing that I'm only a very small part of that machine. The fact that Onyx Path has been able, well, I guess since its inception, we've been running for 10 years this year, but we've certainly been running these Wednesday releases pretty regularly since then. That for as long as I can remember, since starting to work for Onyx Path, we have released a new product every single Wednesday. Now, most of the time, that's a game-related product. It's either a core book or a source book, and because we handle a fair amount of games, it means we've got a lot of material we can cover. Sometimes it's something a little less, I guess, chunky. It might be wallpapers that you can have for your desktop. It could be a dice roller. It could be Roll20 assets, you know, virtual tabletop stuff. Uh, there's a lot that it could be, but we are prolific enough and our customers appreciate what we do enough, which is lovely to see, that we can sustain a weekly release schedule, which is pretty rare in this industry. They may, may be unique in this industry, in fact. I'm not sure of any other companies that do weekly releases. I don't think so. And I'd be happy to take any sort of correction that someone might uh, be able to offer. If there's another gaming company out there that's putting out more, you know, uh, a weekly release of a product, I'd love to hear about it. Uh, we'd be happy to uh, to correct the record. So, well, and if they do, then good for them as well, because it isn't a small task. We have to do a fair amount of planning, and a lot of things have to fall in place in terms of writing, editing, development, art, layouts, 
you know, promotion releases and so on. So we have somehow managed to work, work it, but it is a challenge at times. So Matthew Dawkins, uh, Onyx Path Publishing, I want to uh, thank you for joining us for the first of our creator interview series. It was nice to uh, get a chance for our listeners to hear uh, your perspective on uh, the industry and the games. And uh, for folks who follow the Old Ways podcast, stay tuned because there are going to be several more of interviews uh, scheduled with creators throughout the year. And uh, I hope that listeners have enjoyed an opportunity to get know, get to know a little bit more about Onyx Path throughout the interview. Uh, we encourage, of course, all of our listeners to go check them out on Indie Press Revolution, Drive Through RPG, extra content at uh, onyxpath.com, and uh, Twitch, YouTube, etc. You're everywhere, uh, which is great. Uh, what a world we live in. Well, please uh, do check out MatthewDawkins.com because that's where you can buy all of the books I've worked on, a lot of them for Onyx Path, but not all. If you are listening to this because you're a fan of games that aren't Onyx Path, you will also find games on there that are by Chaosium, Green Ronin, Cubicle 7, and more. And uh, otherwise, do check out the onyxpath.com. Uh, you'll find a link to our Discord on there, which has a separate subserver for every single game. And if you want to find me on Twitter for as long as that website lasts, I don't know, this could go out at the time that Twitter's collapsed, you'll find me at DawkinsMP, uh, which is where I ramble about games and other such things. Well, thank you for your time. And uh, very shortly here, listeners, you'll all get a chance to hear Storyteller James walk us through the Trinity Continuum series. The first in February is something called Age of Wonders. And I look forward to treating your listening ears very shortly. Thank you, and good night.